Welcome back to the South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans from the West Coast. I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Tuesday, December 26, 2023, and I'm very happy to be joined once again by fellow South Stands contributor Paige Van Horn from Denver. PBH, how's it going, my friend? Uh, Merry Christmas, brother. Happy to happy to be on with you. Merry Christmas, my friend. Always good to hear your voice. Uh, we are here to preview, well, a number of things here. Uh, first, the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic between number nine, Missouri, and number seven, Ohio State. We're going to have a look at the CFP semifinal games as well. And then we're going to talk a little bit about recruiting toward the NPBH. How's that sound? Sounds great. It's funny. I didn't even realize it was the Goodyear Cotton Bowl. Like, shouldn't this be at Akron at the Rubber Bowl or something? <laughs> at least like, it's like, at least it's a respectable sponsor, right? Not like the. Uh, it is. The, it's the, the only thing that's respectable about this, though, right? Like, the whole thing is just literally just. Oh, so depressing. But yes, Ugh. here we are. Here we are. I'm with you, buddy. If it's any consolation, this is the last year of this bullshit. And and if there's, you know, that that that's what makes this bearable, at least for me. Yeah. Should we spend <laughs> 10 minutes beating that dead horse? One final of course, time? of <laughs> course, we we will fit that in. I, I, I already have that built into our to the program today, my friend. Um, okay, so here we go. It's number nine, Missouri at 10 and two, number seven, Ohio State at 11 and one in the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic this Friday in Arlington, Texas. The Tigers were second place finishers in the SEC East. The Buckeyes were, of course, second place finishers in the godforsaken Big Ten East, which will no longer exist after this season. The game is an 8 p.m. Eastern kick on ESPN. The line is now Ohio State minus one. The over-under has moved to 49 and a half, so just up a point. Ohio State leads the all-time series between these two schools 10 to 1 with one tie. These schools have not met on the gridiron since the 1997-98 home and home during the John Cooper era. The Buckeyes beat the Tigers 31 to 10 in Columbia back in 1997. And then again in 1998 in Columbus, 35 to 14. I was actually at that game. Missouri's only win in this series was a 22-21 nail-biter against Woody Hayes in the Horseshoe way back in 1976. The Buckeyes are 6-4 in their last 10 bowl games. That includes CFP semifinal games played at bowl sites. But they've actually won their last four non-CFP bowl games. And the 2023 Buckeyes have a chance to be the third Ohio State team since the CFP began to win at least 12 games, lose only once, and yet not compete in the college football playoff. The 2015 and 2018 teams also have that dubious distinction. PBH, and, and this is where maybe we, in, we insert our rant, it's remarkable how many absurdly talented Ohio State teams were denied a chance to compete for a title because of a single goddamn regular season loss. Think about it. 2023, this year, 2018, 2015, 2010, 1998, 1996, all those teams finished the season winning uh, with one loss. The 2013 and 1995 teams also finished the regular season with one loss. They wanted to lose their bowl games as well. But man, so many great Ohio State teams denied a chance to compete in a meaningful postseason because it took college football 100 fucking years to finally implement an expanded playoff. Would you care yeah. to join in my rant here, my friend, before we move on? <laughs> well, obviously, of course, it's uh, what what's, would be interesting is which one of those teams was the most talented. At it. That's a Probably good debate. The 2015 team. I agree. Um, I agree. But the 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 um, God, it was both times Michigan State 
threw a turd in our punch bowl, right? Was it? In 98 what? and 2013, yeah. 1990, yeah, no, actually three times now, if you consider it. 2015, they upset us in the shoe in that rainy mess. Yeah. 1998, yep. they upset us with Nick Saban as the head coach. Remember that? And then also yeah. they beat us in 2013 in the Big Ten championship game. So it technically wasn't a regular season loss for that that team. They lost in the Big Ten championship game. They were 12-0 and in the regular season, but three times Michigan State was a turd in the punch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that 98 team was pretty damn talented. Was yeah, that they were. the year they went to the Rose Bowl? Um, that was the they year played. they went. So that year they went to the uh, they went to the Sugar Bowl and beat Texas A&M. 96 was the year they went to the Rose Bowl, and you and I went to that okay. game together. That was the year that they beat Jake the Snake in Arizona State. Yes. Yeah. That was the team that might be, that could rival the 2015 team for talent as in being the most disappointing, not getting a chance to play for an Totally. Uh, that was, it, yeah. Yeah, but the 2015 was... Jesus. The, that 96 I mean, team was the one that lost to Michigan in the shoe. We didn't score a touchdown. That's when spring slipped on the tie street slant that got <laughs> Michigan back into the game. But, I mean, think of how many great players were on those teams. We did not see compete for a national championship. I mean, who wins in that scenario? 96, you didn't get to see Orlando Pace, Andy Katz, and Moyer, David Boston, that crew compete for a national championship. 98, all the stars on that team. You know, 2015, Zeke Elliott, Joey Bosa, the list goes on. That 2018 team was loaded. This year's team, Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, who wins by leaving players like that uh, out of a playoff? There have been a bunch of great teams that have been denied a chance to, to play in a meaningful postseason because the format has been what it has been for the last 100 years. Right. Well, it'd be interesting. Like, I, I have no idea. We definitely don't want to go down this rat hole. But why? <laughs> How did the bowl system even originate, like originally? Like, what was the first year that happened? And then it just turned, obviously, into this gigantic money grab, right? Yeah. That's what this is always about in every aspect. But it's kind of fascinating where it even came from and how they determined that this is the only really true sport, their team sport, that's going to choose a championship in this manner. Yeah. And they, they did it for 100 years. 100 years. It's insane. And I started following Ohio State football seriously when I was 10 years old. So it was 1981. And I was just a kid at the time. So I don't know what the appetite was like, you know, among the average fans, what the appetite was for an actual playoff back then. But I assume it was probably, you know, still pretty substantial and then as the decades went by people got tired of the bowl system and then you know then this annoying you know these bowl alliances right where you've got the Pac-10 and, and the old, yeah. and the Big Ten locked into a Rose Bowl game and sometimes that meant a Pac-10 uh, champion or a Big Ten champion could not actually compete for a true national championship because they had to go play you know each other in that game anyway I'm so glad it's over 2024 we wipe the slate clean we start anew and we don't have to have conversations like this podcasts like this <laughs> at this time of the year no. thank god we'll find something else to be sad and miserable about <laughs> of, I'm course, sure, but, of course of but, course uh, but it's not going to be Ohio State not making the playoff at least not in most seasons that's for sure yeah, if that happens, the wheels have completely come off, sort of like Chad forgetting that we were going to do a podcast today and uh, him thinking, I'm calling him up like, dude, uh, we've been waiting for you for 15 minutes. He's like, er, what day is it? And I'm like, oh, like God damn it. Somebody, so, somebody. Shout out to Chad. Sorry, yeah, buddy. Sorry, buddy. We'll, we'll get you an alarm clock for, for Christmas. Uh, 
Okay, so back to this matchup with Missouri in the Cotton Bowl. Head coach Eli Drinkwitz, now in his fourth season at Missouri. He's bringing a very good team into this game with top 25 wins over Tennessee and Kansas State. And the Tigers went to Athens and gave then number two Georgia all they could handle. PVH, that game was a 10-10 tie at the half. Missouri had the ball midway through the fourth quarter, down only six with a chance to take the lead. The Bulldogs would hang on to win it 30-21, but the Tigers played pretty well in defeat that day. So why don't we do this, PVH? I'd like to start by having a look at the Missouri offense against the Ohio State defense. I think that's the matchup we can discuss with a little bit more certainty. Now, from what we've learned over the last two and a half weeks, both from confirmed opt-ins and players that were in full pads at practice today, the Ohio State defense will be mostly intact for this game. Safety Lathan Ransom has already been ruled out. That's no surprise. He's still recovering from his lower leg injury. And Jim Knowles said today that Tommy Eichenberg's status is still up in the air because of his left elbow injury. I mean, you know, going off that Michigan performance by Eichenberg, he was a shell of himself in that game. He probably should not have played. I, I would actually be surprised if he plays. But it is widely assumed that the other 10 defensive starters will play against Missouri and all the key reserves as well. So that's great news for the Buckeyes. Now, Ohio State's going to be facing a very good Missouri offense in this game. The Tigers come into this game ranked 25th nationally in total offense at 443 yards per game. They're 15th in offensive yards per play at 6.62 yards per play. They're 26th nationally in scoring offense, averaging 34 points per game. They're only 53rd in rushing offense, averaging 169 yards per game, which is a little low considering they have a first-team AP All-American at running back who led the SEC in rushing. The Tigers are 30th nationally in passing offense, averaging 273 yards per game. Finally, Missouri is 16th nationally in scrimmage plays of 40-plus yards with 19. So, PBH, the Tigers have some big play potential the Buckeyes have to respect. The Missouri offense is led by quarterback Brady Cook. He completed 64% of his passes during the regular season for 3,189 yards, 20 passing touchdowns, and only six INTs. Cook is also a very capable runner with eight rushing touchdowns this season. But the man to watch on that Missouri offense is running back Cody Schrader. Schrader's an interesting story, PVH. He transferred to Missouri last year after four seasons at Division II Truman State. Have you ever heard of Truman State? I've never heard of Truman State. I don't even know where that is. <laughs> Schrader led the SEC in rushing this season with 1,499 yards. He averaged just over six yards per attempt and had 13 rushing touchdowns. Schrader was a first-team All-SEC selection, as well as a first-team AP All-American. He was a finalist for the Doak Walker Award. He is the best running back the Ohio State defense will face this season. Finally, the Tigers have another first-team All-SEC selection in slot receiver Luther Burden, the third. Burden, who is also a second-team AP All-American, has 83 receptions for 1,197 yards and eight touchdown catches. All right, PBH, that was an earful. Let me kick this over to you. Give me a few thoughts on the Buckeye defense against the Missouri offense in this game. Uh, so, you know, this is this like, this isn't my shtick, right? I'm no good at the hypotheticals. <laughs> I don't even true. know. Who I, <laughs> Missouri, like I'm looking at their schedule. I'm looking at the stat sheet you sent me. Like, I'm I'm sorry. I, it, it's hard to get excited or, or believe in a team. And maybe I'm wrong. They're <laughs> two best whatever games were they played Georgia top twice in back-to-back -back years and lost them both that's congratulations true. other than that you're irrelevant right I mean <laughs> seriously I cannot even 
uh, and I live close to Missouri. I can't even remember ever seeing them on my television. <laughs> so I, it, it just adds to my anger that we're even playing this team I know. on a Friday night. It's not even a, you know, like I would have been so much more excited, uh, you know, like playing Oregon and the Fiesta Bowl uh, right. on New Year's Day. Now, that being said, you know, I mean... The more interesting subplot is who's going to play, who's not going to play. Right. Um, and I do think it's 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 telling that these guys are going to play. Um, the Eichenberg thing, you know, not to pile on the poor guy, but, you know, if you're going to point fingers, right? I mean, after McCord, he was probably, you know, I mean, he cost us tremendously in that Michigan game. Yeah. Um, he probably should not have played. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So if he's not healthy enough to play against Missouri, why the fuck was he ever playing against Michigan? Yeah. Right? Like, w w what are you doing? Especially there? when you, you have Cody I mean? Simon, right, who's actually played yeah. well this year. Yeah, that was exactly. a miscalculation by Ohio State I, to put him out there. I agree. I, you know this 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 whole thing of just playing, you know, guys because they're starters and you you know they're clearly injured. Yeah. Um, it's something that actually, you know, I think Ryan Day should sort of have some answers for um so yeah i mean if chad were here he'd be very excited we'll probably get to see some cj hicks right that would be exciting we hope so yeah um, you know i i mean to me I, i'm happy those guys are playing um you know on, on the defense but let's just you know this game is meaningless um for you know I mean, we could we could debate that I, <laughs> I, i'd be more inclined right i would be more inclined you know to, to see guys that we haven't seen all year get playing time. Yeah. If we know, and I would think Ryan Day at this point does know who's actually going to stay and who's actually going to go. So if JTT's going to come back and Sawyer's going to come back, then by all means play those guys. Right. But, you know, and, but th there's got to be a lot of other, you know, kids on the, on the two deep on the defensive side. Uh, and on, on the offensive side, for that matter, that, you know, if they're going to get PT next year, then let's let's let them play in this game. Yeah. Right. And, you know, if they're they have a great running back, great, you know, and a quarterback, great. I, I'm just not a believer. Um, I, I mean, I think, you know, uh, on paper, Ohio State will roll this team, but it's college football. It's a meaningless game for Ohio State. They they're still got to be feeling the sting for Michigan and you can never put a price on the emotional side of it. So that's why I'm sort of on the bubble of what a high state team actually shows up. They're saying all the right things, but we all know that doesn't mean shit. Right. I mean, <laughs> so they could yeah. very easily just be going through the motions on this whole thing. And, you know, so we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if they were, if, you know, if there weren't a lot of juice for this game and if they were going through the motions, we, we would have we would have had a fair amount of opt-outs by now. And we've not had that yet. I think the big challenge for the Buckeyes on this side of the ball is, of course, the Missouri rushing offense. Cody Schrader, I think you might be underselling Missouri just a little bit. Now, they do play in the SEC, and I understand they lost to Georgia. They played them close. They still lost the game. But I, I do think this is a pretty good team. I mean, Schrader... I, I, dude, I... They are. Yeah. I, I, it, this is my own personal, just can't get excited for this thing. Yeah. I'm sure they're a very talented, you know, 
decent football team. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but no, and I also, and I feel you, man, like this, we should be talking about a playoff semifinal today. And, and instead we're talking about, you know, and honestly, Missouri should be competing in the playoff along with Ohio State. We should have had an expanded field this year. Yeah. I don't want to beat that horse. Don't, I've already beat that horse dead. But in this particular game, just for the sake of the discussion, um, I guess what concerns me is is the Missouri rushing offense. Ohio State has been very good against the pass. Uh, if there is a weakness with this defense, and it, you know they're 24th nationally, allowing 112 yards per game, and they're 22nd nationally in yards per rushing attempt. The Ohio State defense is. They're only giving up 3.38 yards per carry. So it's a relative weakness. Uh, but this is the area where I think we'll, Ohio State will be most challenged is containing the rushing attack uh, of Missouri. And it's not just Cody Schrader. Their quarterback, Brady Cook, is a very good athlete. And actually, between the two of them, Schrader and Cook, they have 21 rushing touchdowns. I think this is the best offense the Buckeyes will have seen this season. And another thing I want to see, I, I think Jim Knowles is going to have to be a little bit more aggressive, within reason, of course, than just hoping to get off the field on third down. I mean, the Ohio State defense is currently 95th nationally in quarterback sacks. They're 91st in tackles for loss, and they're 123rd in takeaways. And PVH, what do we always like to say about Ohio State? That you should never be that low in any statistical category. Uh, so it seems to me, you know, a defense with the kind of talent Ohio State has should be a little bit more impactful in those areas. And I think this is a game where Jim Knowles can afford to let it rip. Why the fuck not? Right. Be more aggressive. This, yeah. this is not a playoff game. I, look, I'll be disappointed if Missouri is able to control the clock with its running game in in the fourth quarter like Notre Dame and Michigan were able to against Ohio State. Right. Notre Dame held the ball for 9-15 of the fourth quarter. You and I were there. You could hear me under my breath. Think, come on, someone make a play. Get a stop. Get us off the field. And then Michigan held the ball for 10-28 of the fourth quarter against the Buckeyes. So I hope Jim Knowles has a, a better plan for his defense if the Buckeyes find themselves in a close game, you know, trailing by a score in the fourth quarter and they need to get a stop. Uh, one other thing I'll say that should be interesting, we should see a great battle between Jordan Hancock and Luther Burden III. Burden is probably the best receiver the Ohio State secondary will face this season, and he operates out of the slot. So that will be that should be a really fun uh, matchup between those two. All right, kick this back to you, PBH. Anything else you want to say about this side of the ball? It, it is interesting looking at the stats, and you kind of ran through them, but I'll say it again. Ohio State has – the number three ranked total defense in the country and they're ranked number one of opponents plays of 40 plus yards right. yet they're 95th in sacks 91st in tf so obviously he overcorrected or i yeah. wonder if he thinks i overcorrected right mm -hmm. i mean you know the, the turn turnovers are you know i don't know i how much you know is it is it because you're not you know th there's luck involved i guess with turnovers i agree there's no way you could be so bad in sacks and tackles for loss in the 90th, um, yet you you did not give up any. You only gave up one play of over 40 yards. Yeah. And so, it so so not so much. So so yes, I agree with you 100%. Let it rip in this game, Jim Knowles. Go for broke. Um, clearly, there was a conscious effort, right? And. Um, I just kind of wonder from self-reflection how, how he would look at these statistics and say, yeah, yeah the, maybe there's a, a middle ground there. But, you know, we can't have it like you also like to say, can't have it both ways. Yeah. Right. They did what they needed to do to, you know, clean up a lot of those mistakes. That's true. Um, but, it, you know, maybe it kind of cost them a 
to some level. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, the, the, those are weird numbers. No, it it is interesting. You know, they did manage to slice ten points off their scoring defense from last year. Last year they gave up 21 points per game. This year they're only giving up 11 points per game. So I, I think what they've done there is you, you, to, to improve that much in scoring defense, you had to sacrifice maybe chasing those havoc plays, sacks, tackles for loss, turnovers, that sort of thing. But I agree with you. There's got to be a middle ground because if you look at Michigan and Penn State, those are Ohio State's Big Ten peers. Those are defenses that also rank at the very top in total defense, defensive yards per play, scoring defense, but they generate way more sacks tackles for loss and turnovers. I think Penn State and Michigan both forced 24 turnovers this year apiece. Ohio State only forced 11. So there is a way you can do it. It can be achieved. And Ohio State doesn't need to look any further than their own conference at Penn State and Michigan. So I agree with you. I think yeah. that's going to be a huge talking point in the offseason is how does Jim Knowles find now that middle ground? Because there was a little, there was a dearth of playmaking when Ohio State really needed it in critical yeah. moments. It almost cost us against Notre Dame too. We were very lucky to yeah. survive that game. Remember, you and I watched Notre Dame bleed the clock in the second half with those two long touchdown drives. And had they, they been able to get one more first down on that final possession, they would have done the same thing Michigan did to us, basically. So um, I agree with you. There was a little bit of an overcorrection, um, I, I think, maybe that can be addressed during the offseason. But although I'm, I would much rather be living in this world 2023 than last year, <laughs> giving up all those explosive yeah. plays, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, no doubt. No, no, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. All right, buddy. Well, let's flip it around and have a look at the Ohio State offense against the Missouri defense. Now, Missouri comes into this game ranked 39th nationally in total defense. They allow 347 yards per game. They're 57th in defensive yards per play at 5.41. They're 41st in scoring defense, allowing 22 points per game. They're 33rd nationally against the run, allowing 125 yards per game. Now, this is a key stat here. They're 63rd against the pass, allowing 222 yards per game. I think that's a lot of passing yards. They're also 65th in opponent third down conversion percentage at 39%. So this is a defense that's a little vulnerable against the pass, and they struggle a little bit to get off the field on third down. Now, one thing Missouri does do pretty well is they get off the quarterback pretty well. They're 18th nationally in quarterback sacks with 35. They're 33rd in tackles for loss with 78. We were just complaining about how Ohio State is not really good in those areas. Missouri's pretty pretty good in those areas. They're 53rd nationally also in takeaways with 18. Finally, like Ohio State's defense, this is a defense that does not allow many explosive plays. They're third nationally in opponent scrimmage plays of 40 plus yards. They've only given up five of those this season. A couple of players to watch on the Missouri defense. They're they're both first-team All-SEC selections. Edge rusher Darius Robinson, he leads the Tigers both in quarterback pressures with 36 and sacks with 7.5. He's Missouri's second-highest-graded defender, according to PFF, the grade of 82.1. And then cornerback Chris Abrams drain another player to watch. He was also a first-team All-SEC selection and a second-team AP All-American this season. Hell of a player, Abrams drain. He's Missouri's highest-graded defender, according to PFF, the grade of 84.6 and he leads the tigers in pbus with 11 and ints with four however now the tigers are going to be without the services of two pretty important pieces to their defense linebacker tyrone hopper he's their second leading tackler this season he was a second team all sec selection and then cornerback ennis rakestraw he is their third highest graded defender according to pff they're both sitting out the cotton bowl with injuries finally missouri's also going to be without linebacker chad bailey who he's actually been out since mid-october with an injury i think they were hoping to get him back for this game and bailey's been a really good player for them in his years in missouri he was their top graded defender last 
last year and their third leading tackler. So um, that's where things stand with the Missouri defense PVH. This is an above average Missouri defense with a couple of nice pieces in Robinson and Abrams Drain. But I think it's fair to say they're not as good one through 11 as the likes of a Notre Dame, Penn State, uh, or Michigan. Ohio State has faced better defenses this season, to be sure. And now the Tiger defense is pretty diminished with some injuries, too. So uh, let's let's have a, a look real quick at the Ohio State offense before I kick this over to you, PBH, to get your take on this. It is a little hard to know what to expect from the Ohio State offense because the, yeah, say what you want about Kyle McCord. He's only one of seven quarterbacks in school history to throw for 3,000 yards in a season, and he's gone. The Buckeyes are also almost assuredly going to be without the generational talent that is Marvin Harrison Jr. He made the trip to Dallas. I don't know if you saw this, PVH, but he was riding a stationary bike at I practice did. today. <laughs> so that tells you everything you need to know. He's not playing in this game. We also know running back Trip Trainum. He's transferred to Kentucky. Starting receiver Julian Fleming. He transferred to Penn State. But beyond those players, I think we expect to see the rest of the starting offense. We know uh, Emeka Buka is playing in this game. So is Donovan Jackson. That's good news. And uh, running back Trey Henderson was in full pads and practicing today. He's expected to play as well. And we know the next man up at quarterback is... Devin Brown, your guy, PVH. He's only My logged guy. he's only logged 72 snaps this season. He has a grand total of 22 career pass attempts. There would also appear to be a lot of snaps in this game for some other young skill players like Dallin Hayden. Finally, we're going to get to see him play, we think. Carnell Taint, uh, Jaden Ballard, and then potentially Brandon Innes. So PVH, yeah. why don't you give us a few thoughts about this revamped Buckeye offense against the Missouri defense? So did we opened up as like a six and a half point favorite, right? And then McCord I, I, yeah, goes. Yeah, I think it was closer to like maybe four or five, but maybe I don't know. Maybe some books had us at six and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it, I mean, for a, for, I mean, it's pro, it, it might have happened, but we're like in year three of this new world that we live in with college football. But I don't. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is totally unprecedented territory. We take a top five team. That just misses the playoff. Yeah. And is gonna go to a bowl game and their quarterback is already on a, a new team. Like I can't imagine that's really happened. Before. I can't think of one. I mean, the only other, you know, player to leave uh, you know, oh my God. He plays for the Eagles now. He played for Bama, transferred to Oklahoma. Why am I breaking on his Hurts. Jalen Hurts left a Bama a contender, right? But he got beat out, right, by Tua. Uh, yeah, that's the only too, yeah, that's the only other thing I can think of. But no, I mean, this is a guy who had not yet been beaten out for his position and he transfers totally. out. Certainly, this is unprecedented in Ohio State history. But, but you know, by far, this is never nothing like this has ever happened. Yeah, I mean, State. it's just it's it, it is obviously it's stating the obvious uncharted territory. So who the hell knows? Right. And yeah. The, the line goes from five to, to one. So. Uh, if you were on the Buckeyes early, you're you're sitting pretty. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, again, like how many times have we seen? You know, it was Wilson and Lave sit out, and then we get that performance by by Jackson in the Rose Bowl, right? Yeah. You know, next man up with receivers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Marvin, love ya. Go make a ton of money, dude. Yep. Right. Uh, the you know to your text zero. Uh, gone, gone, totally, 100%, right? Yeah. All, all this chatter. Well, he might come back because he's going to make $21 million. Like, just stop it. It's just madness, <laughs> right? Like, and by the way, he'll get a five-year contract in the NFL. So yeah. top yes, three pick. Done. Yeah. Would Go be my get guess. the money, right? And I'm all for, like, in my opinion, anybody that can be a potential first-round draft pick. You got to do it. probably go get that money. Absolutely. Uh, 
uh, across the board. Um, so receivers, you know, yeah, I'd love to see somebody like Ballard, you know, more uh, Tate, um, you know, definitely some Innis. But we all know that this is the quarterback hunt. This is the quarterback show. Yeah. Um, and to me, I think, you know, I want to see Keenholz play as well. Me too. Um, if he if he just plays Brown, uh, I'll be a little bummed. Um, and, you know, who knows? It's small sample size, but I think we were pretty underwhelmed with what we saw with him last year. Um, he had some nice throws, but, you know, um, you know, then put your negative hat on, and it's like, man, if that guy wasn't good enough to beat the guy that, you know, was the starting quarterback at Ohio State, goes in the transfer portal and ends up at Syracuse. <laughs> yeah. Do we have a quarterback, you know, problem, right? Yeah. You know? I don't know. I mean, that's it's possible, right? It wasn't like McCord ended up at UCLA or USC or, you know, went, you know, I mean, Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and what Nebraska was your other, you know, shot. And you probably ended up not going there because you got word that Rayola was going to go there. So you could even beat out a high school player. So what the hell is going on? Um, and not to pile on McCord, but you know, maybe we should do that. It's all <laughs> going to come down to the quarterback position in this game and then setting us up for next year, play some young guys, you know, Henderson candidly, yeah, if he's coming back, if he's coming back, I'd prefer him not to play. <laughs> God knows he'll probably get hurt or something, right? <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah. You know, it's like we know what we get with Trey. We know what we get with the healthy Trey. I would love to see Hayden, you know, um, yeah, get the, the lion's share of carries. It's surprising, you know, Chip left, but maybe, you know, he saw the writing on the wall. And, you know, it's like, well... Um, I got, you know, I'm sort of sandwiched in the middle, maybe between these two guys. And so I'm not going to be the future back anyways, um, quarterback, it's, it's all the quarterback in this game. And I think it, it whole 100% determines who wins the game. If, you know, if Brown wows or Keenholz wows, then Ohio State will win this game and probably win it convincingly if they struggle, which they probably will, um, It'll be very close or Ohio State will lose. Yeah. I, I mean, as much as the coaches and players have talked about the importance of this game, and you and I have questioned that, I mean, you know, all due respect to what the coaches and players have been saying, like you, I'm still viewing the Cotton Bowl as, as kind of the start of the 2024 preseason. And this will be Devin Brown's first opportunity to make his case as the starter for 2024. It is interesting, though. There has been a lot of positive buzz around Brown during bowl practices. I want to see him play well against, you know, an above average but not great Missouri defense. I think what I, you know, what we've seen from Brown, and I'm with you, by the way, I'm on record as not having been all that impressed by the 72 snaps that he logged this season. But it does seem like he does throw a pretty accurate deep ball. He can do a little something running the football, as we saw during with the red zone package before he injured his ankle. But there was not, you know, he struggled with his consistency making with some of the shorter, medium range throws. So that's something I'm going to be looking for. Um, uh, it is also worth mentioning that his right ankle in the practice footage that I've seen is still very heavily taped. So I'm not sure we're going to we're going to see a completely healthy Brown doing all the things that he's actually capable of doing. Um, again, 72 snaps, small sample size, and Brown is only a second-year player, but there have been some flashes also, to be fair. I think we should mention those 
PVH. I mean, you know, the touchdown pass to Carnell Tate against Youngstown State. I know it was Youngstown State. It was still a beautiful throw. He also had a gorgeous throw to Brandon Innes against Purdue for a long touchdown. So, you know, there, there have been some flashes. This is his you know, big audition, right, for, for Brown mm-hmm. to, uh, to make a splash here. And, you know, it's still not off the table that Ohio State could reach into the portal and bring in a starting quarterback. I mean, if, if Brown oh, yeah. totally tanks in this game and looks like total shit, uh, it could, in theory, force the coaching staff to kind of rethink their portal strategy, strategy that is. Um, and I'm with you. I'd love to see Lincoln Keenholz playing this game, but the way they're talking about this game and all these draft-eligible juniors opting back in, it seems like Ohio State's playing to win. And I'm not sure how much we're going to see of Keenholz, though I would love, I'm with you, man, I'd love to see him play in this game and then to your point there should be plenty of opportunities now with marvin harrison jr opting out especially at receiver with harrison jr opting out and then also fleming gone you you have to give some snaps to more than just one of the young receivers carnal tate for sure but then Jaden ballard's got to get some time and and probably mm-hmm. brandon innes too right just the math oh, yeah. will tell you that um I, and i think actually several of those kids are going to have to be more than just you know you know, a flash here or there. I mean, they're gonna have to make an impact in this game for Ohio State to win. Like, and I'm looking at Hayden and I'm looking at Tate. Those guys have to be good and impactful, I think, for Ohio State to win. PVH, any other thoughts on on this side of the ball? Uh, yeah, just the, the last piece, I, I would think, and you brought up Brown's ankle and it's like, so Dave would have to completely not he would have to adjust for the type of quarterback that he has. So, right. Yeah. We all in, and I, I try, was trying to remember your exact line about Brown when you were ridiculing him for not being the <laughs> prolific runner that we all were told that he was, <laughs> or it's been, it's, it's been greatly exaggerated. Yeah. But if that's part of his arsenal, right. Then, then day's got to, you know, he's, he's got to, you know, design an offense around that, a running quarterback, which I think, you know, in college football is a huge, huge difference maker. For sure. Um, and, you know, unless you get a generational guy like C.J. Stroud, and, and McCord is more that type of player. And I do feel like that that is where Day wants to live more than, you know, the RPO with a JT Barrett. But if that's what Brown is bringing to the table, then that's the kind of game you need to call for him. But is he going to do it? Yeah. Because his ankle is a little, you know, still banged up. Yep. Uh, you know, and we'll never know, right? Because they'll never tell you. Um, but I think that's, you know, that's a that's an interesting thing. And you know, to your last point, they're all in to win. So we're probably not going to see some keen holds. I'd actually kind of agree with that. But I'm just sorry, like... Yeah, I know you guys want to win the game. It's not like we're trying to lose, but there's also something to be said for setting yourself up. Um, because, you know, the, n- next year is, the, 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 this is the biggest, well, it's always the biggest position on the field. But, you know, unless you're a thousand percent convinced that Aaron Nolan could potentially be the guy mm-hmm. and Brown has a bad game, dude, you got to be going into the portal. Um, and there's still time to do that, but... Um, this is this is just more than trying to win the freaking Cotton Bowl on Friday night. Yeah, it could be potentially very problematic if Brown shits the bed in this game and and he looks really really bad. <laughs> and because right, you so know, let's let's let, let's <laughs> let's play that out for a second. Yeah. So he's horrible. Yeah. Let's just say nice horrible. Let's just say he's bad. Yeah. Right. You know. Um. Like where is and and we lose. Say we lose this game thirty four to you know 17 and just the offense is inept um 
what do we wake up to on Saturday morning? Not only yeah. for the psyche of this team, um, but also where they go. Well, if if you believe the the vibe that we're getting from the Ohio State beat, and and I think it's pretty much every corner of the Ohio State beat seems to be in agreement that many of these draft eligible juniors are coming back. So you have to think about that, right? These guys are coming back and they're going to go all in on one more run at the playoffs and a championship next year. And if you have a commitment from those guys, maybe a really bad performance from Brown might get some of those guys to waver on their commitments. So then maybe to get them to stay, you have to then change your your strategy with your quarterback room. And then you have to dip into the portal and see if you can bring a veteran quarterback in a one-year rental that can help you make that run, uh, you know, for the benefit of these draft eligible juniors, this great 2021 class or highly rated 2021 class that really the only hump they have not been able to get over is Michigan. Otherwise they've won a lot of games. They played very well for Ohio state. So, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, there's probably some, a lot of, a lot of things happening behind the scenes. If Brown just is obviously not the guy yeah. in a really, really bad, obvious way. And Keen holds like, look, he's only going into his second year, hasn't played, you know, any meaningful snaps, just a handful of snaps. It's probably too soon for him. And how realistic is you going to hand the job to a true freshman who, as talented as Nolan is, how realistic is it that he's going to win that job for you when you have a commitment from all these draft eligible juniors to come back and make a run at a title? I think the world we're waking up to the next day, PBH, if Brown is really bad and is obviously not the guy, is they're chasing after a portal quarterback to, to keep you know their roster intact to make a run at a title next year. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. And the the other interesting point is, does that sway a few guys to go? Yeah, um, it could. You know, it uh, could. It, it absolutely, absolutely could. Especially like, you know, like Burke said, he knows what he's going to do, um, but he's still going to play. He's gone. Right. Like, I'm sorry, that that guy's gone and he should go. You know, you're a cornerback. You might be a late first rounder, early second rounder, whatever. Ibuka is the other, you know, would he stick around, you know, if Brown is really bad being, you know, maybe an early Good question. Second, yeah. second rounder. Defense is different. Um, yeah. You know, I can totally see most of the guys on the defensive side of the ball, like JTT and Sawyer coming back. Not Burke. I, I yeah. Hancock, but. Yeah, that. So from that that regard, there is kind of you know it gets me more excited to see because it, <laughs> it raises the stakes. Um, yeah, maybe which one of these guys want to you know jump back on this train for the next season? But I mean, I think we're talking about the absolute worst case scenario. I mean, I think we're talking Joe Bowserman territory in terms of how bad Brown would have to look to really kind of alter the the calculus for these guys who are making these big NFL decisions and and that sort of thing. I mean, now the other side of that coin is, you know, Day's been pretty good installing an offensive game plan when he's got this much time to prepare. Uh, the other side of that coin is Brown could actually he could he could look great. And and uh, there could be quite a lot of enthusiasm going into next year, especially if we get these opt-ins from these draft eligible juniors that that many say we're going to get after the game. All right. All right, yeah. PBH. That's definitely the glass half full. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. But It's a reason to tune in either way, right? I mean, they're, they're you know, yeah, it, no, it is. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Not the only one. <laughs> All right. Let's fire up the Concernometer for the last time this, this season, PBH. Give me your Concernometer readout for this game. Oh, that's an interesting one because it's like, 
like nor I'm a zero. There's nothing on this game, right? Like, <laughs> okay, so let, all right, it's a super second I, that you care, it. that you really I care about it. the I, outcome. What would it I be? I get it. I understand. <laughs> um, uh, no, dude. I mean, I I think it's, it's probably in a seven, um, just because of the quarterback. It's unprecedented. It's yeah. never happened. You take a team like Ohio State, who you know is just a few bad plays away from you know playing for it all. Uh, and then your quarterback is literally gone like 17 days later. Um, Crazy. A bowl game. It's just, it's unprecedented. So, um, you know, you're, you're, you're putting a guy in there Brown and you know, man, I, I hope, I hope he's up for it. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the other thing about him that is nice is it certainly seems like he wants it. Right. Yeah. His, he is not afraid um, the personality, uh, you know, so sort of what we're hearing, uh, you know, how he's approaching it and what his mindset is that, that makes me, you know, bullish on him. So, uh, I hope he pulls it off. I've got to do it though. You got to see it or, you know, we believe it. Yep. Um, so seven. Uh, I'll come in at a seven. Seven. Okay. You and I have been in lockstep on a lot of these concernometer readouts. I'm at six and a half. This is a very good Missouri team making a rare appearance in a New Year's Six game. I said this earlier. This is a big moment for that program. They will be highly motivated to win this game. The Ohio State defense, though, is going to be mostly intact, as we know now. And I expect them to play well. But, yeah, the big question is, you know, with with a most they're mostly unproven at quarterback. There's no Marvin Harrison Jr., so it's fair to wonder where the offense is going to come from in this game for the Buckeyes. So I, my concern on meters at six and a half. All right, buddy, let's get to our score predictions. Again, the line is Ohio State minus one. The over under is 49 and a half. Now this game's being played indoors, so weather will yep. not be a factor. What's your score prediction, PVH? I'm going to go 38-35, an old school offensive shootout in the bowl game. Buckeyes pulled off by a field goal. Wow, okay, 38-35 Ohio State. Yeah, you know, and we, we talked about this at the top. The Cotton Bowl, not the end game for this team in 2023. This is a net disappointment. And look, man, it's utterly absurd. But a team that finished 11-1 and against a pretty damn tough schedule has to settle for playing in this meaningless exhibition game. But PVH, I'm going to enjoy this game because I have the comfort of knowing this bullshit ends next season with the advent of the 12-team playoff and the end of Big Ten divisions. An 11-1 finish against the Big Ten schedule should always, without exception, earn you the right to play in a meaningful postseason. This is the last season that it won't, and thank God for that. Now, we just talked about it with a bunch of the draft-eligible juniors opting in for this game. There seems to be a fair amount of juice, you know, for the Cotton Bowl, and, and there's some buzz around the program that a lot of these kids are going to come back for another run at the playoffs in 2024. Seems like this game means a lot to the Buckeyes. They're still far and away the more talented team. If you, I mean, if you look at the 24-17 talent composite, Ohio State is third, Missouri's 25th. The Buckeyes have 10 five-star players on their roster. Missouri has two. So go out there on Friday, be the more talented team, play loose, let it rip, have fun. I got Ohio State 24, Missouri 20. The Buckeyes find a way, led by the defense. And like I said, with a month to prepare, I trust Ryan Dale have a good plan for the offense, even though he's going to be without his quarterback who threw for 3,100 yards and his Bolitnikoff winner at receiver. But I like the Buckeyes by a field goal like you, just a lower scoring game and what I expect to be a pretty entertaining football game. It should be a fun watch on Friday night. All right. 
Let's have a look at these CFP semifinal games. These are some juicy matchups, PBH. Uh, let's start with number four, Alabama at 12-1, and the SEC champion, versus number one, Michigan at 13-0, and the Big Ten champs. This is at the CFP semifinal at the Rose Bowl. The game is a 5 p.m. Eastern kick on ESPN. The line is now Michigan minus two. The over-under is 44-and-a-half. This will be only the sixth time these schools have met on the gridiron. Alabama leads the all-time series 3-2. to two. PBH, before I get your take on this game, though, I did a little, did a little dig in here in, in the stats. And this is interesting. Uh, uh, oh, I like it. I like it. <laughs> this is interesting. In terms of winning percentage, 2021 through 2023 has been the winningest three-season stretch of Michigan football since 1971 through 73. In both of those three wow. those three year spans, the winning percentage was nine twenty seven, and Michigan's thirty eight total wins from twenty twenty one to twenty twenty three are the most of any three season stretch in Michigan football history. Prior to that, the most wins Michigan had over any three season span was thirty two, and that was between nineteen ninety seven and ninety nine. And if you think about those teams, the ninety seven team was the only legit national title contender. They won a share of the title back then. They were twelve and zero, as we remember. That was the Charles Woodson team. But the ninety eight ninety nine teams, they both lost multiple games during the regular season. Neither was a legit title contender. They were solid football teams. Also, prior to 2021, Michigan won 12 or more games in a season only twice, 1997 and 1905. They've done it now three straight seasons under Jim Harbaugh. Now, we can question how it was they were able to have this level of success, which they've never achieved over any previous three-season span ever in the history of, college, of, their, of their program. But uh, it has been an unprecedented level of success these last three seasons for the Michigan program. But with 43 outgoing seniors, a second straight recruiting class that finished well outside the top 15, and NCAA sanctions looming, you have to wonder, PVH, if Michigan can sustain this level of success next season and beyond. It's also likely Jim Harbaugh's name is going to come up in connection with NFL head coaching jobs. I mean, there's already some buzz about Harbaugh and the San Diego Chargers. So this has all the trappings, PVH, of a last hurrah for Michigan. This could be their last totally. CFP appearance for a while, my friend. One other interesting tidbit. Michigan is currently on a... One can dream, my friend. One, one can, can dream. dream. <laughs> one can dream. Michigan is currently on a six-game bowl losing streak, and they're 2-8 and eight in their last 10 bowl games, which dates back to 2011. Now, over that same span, Nick Saban and Alabama have played in eight fucking national championship games, and they've won five of them. Saban is 6-1 and one in CFP semifinal games. His only loss was to Ohio State back in 2014. He's, he's won six in a row. Overall, Saban has won six national titles at Bama, three in the CFP era, and he's got three BCS titles as well. My goodness. All right, PBH, who do you like in this game and why? I, I The last few days, I've been trending away from Bama into Michigan. Um, but then I then I was reminded when I was thinking when they announced the CFP selection show and they you know had Michigan in the conference room or where, wherever they were and uh, Bama was flashed as the four and there was just this collective sigh, gasp. And, I think it was what is yeah, you described yeah, it. Yeah. Like oh god, right? Um, and 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 you know there's Bama has just has has studs all up and down 
the roster. They always do. Mm-hmm. The, their question mark the last, or especially this year, was Milton with quarterback, um, and he's he's definitely turned it around. Now, yeah. the, the the only pause is like if he doesn't, but you can't you you, you can't you can't draw those parallels. Or I was going to go the Auburn game where Jesus they should have never won that game, and then how do you come back and then beat Georgia? But they did. Yeah. And you know the other variable is you give Jim or uh, Nick Saban thirty days. Um, I saw some stat. There's only one guy that could, that's ever beaten him in those scenarios. It's Urban Meyer, and I'm not doing this the statistic justice. But it's like literally ten and one, and it was the year we beat them, the first year of the playoff. So um, I'm gonna roll with Bama. Yeah. Um, and uh you know that's where my heart is so might as well put my money behind it <laughs> right yeah i mean after pouring through the numbers you know what stood out to me is is the tide coming to this game ninth nationally in quarterback sacks with 38 and the bama pass rush is led by edge rushers dallas turner and chris braswell turner is a first team ap all-american and he leads bama with nine quarterback sacks braswell is second on the team in sacks with eight as a duo Turner and Braswell have a, have combined for a staggering 106 quarterback pressures this season. Now, just for a little context, that's 23 more combined pressures than Penn State's trio of Adisa Isaac, Denai, Dennis Sutton, and Chop Robinson. And we remember how much trouble the Michigan offensive line had in pass protection against Penn State. I mean, so much so that Michigan had to completely shut down their passing game. They only attempted one forward pass from the five-minute mark of the second quarter to the end of the game. I tend to think the Bama pass rush is going to have a similar effect on the Michigan offense in this game. Uh, Alabama, by the way, also has the best secondary in the country with cornerbacks Kool-Aid McKinstry and Terry and Arnold, who are both first-team AP All-Americans. Arnold leads Bama with 12 PBUs and five picks. And then they also have safety Caleb Downs, who was a second-team AP All-American. He leads Bama in tackles with 99. Downs also has two picks this year. And then I think offensively, I think Jalen Milrow is going to be a problem for the Michigan defense. I mean, Milrow has played, he's been a different quarterback over the second half of the season. He's thrown 10 touchdowns to only one pick in his last five starts, but it's what Milrow can do with his legs that will be the difference for Bama in this game. 12 rushing touchdowns for Milrow this season. I think his mobility gives Bama a big edge in explosive plays as well. Bama is ninth nationally in scrimmage plays of 40 plus yards. The Michigan offense by comparison is 110th in explosive plays. So the Bama pass rush and Jalen Milrose playmaking, I think are the difference in this game. As you've mentioned, you know, you give Nick Saban a month and you make him a fucking underdog in this game. I mean, I I like Bama. I like Bama comfortably in this game. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, we'll come up with something, right? (laughs) Probably it's, it's probably going to be, Hey, we're going to, you know, make McCarthy beat us. Um, and if it's just, I mean, it just makes my, my heart hurt to hear how great their cornerbacks are. It's like, <laughs> although our, our corners were fine this year too, yeah. but like, um, you know, uh, going up again, I mean, Michigan's not very dynamic, right? They're not, uh, offensively. And so he's probably just going to put those guys on islands against their receivers, mm-hmm. uh, stack the box and say, you're not going to run the ball against us. JJ. If you can beat my two All-American corners, then I'll tip my hat to you. That's going to be how you're going to have to beat us, and I don't think he'll be able to do it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that's the key for Michigan, right? You've got to t- you've got to take the reins off of J.J. McCarthy if you're Jim Harbaugh and let him make plays on the move. All right, buddy. 
Let's have a look at the other semifinal. This is the semifinal at the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, also on New Year's Day. It's number three, Texas. They are the Big 12 champions at 12 and 1 versus number two, 13 and 0, Washington. They are the Pac 12 champions. The game is an 8.45 p.m. Eastern kick on ESPN. The line is currently Texas minus four and a half. The over-under is 63 and a half. This will also be the sixth meeting between these two schools, and Texas leads the all-time series three to two. PBH, who do you like in this game? I, You know, we were texting about it, and uh, before you sent that stat sheet, you know, I was like, I, I like Washington, and I was impressed how, you know, they beat Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. Um and you know, then then you convinced me otherwise. And then I went and looked at all the stats. Um, but I'm not convinced. I'm going to roll with Washington right. in this game. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I I just feel like they've got something special with Penix and those those wideouts. Yeah. Phenomenal. And um, you know, I think they'll find a way to get it done. And okay. Um. So I'm. Uh, did you say Texas is minus four? Yeah. Totally. More four and a half. Washington yeah. Plus four. Yep. Okay. All right. You like Washington this game. I, I think, you know, looking over the numbers, Texas is the more complete team. And they're actually probably the most complete team in the CFP field. Uh, they're in the top 25 in just about every statistical category that matters. However, to your point, PBH, the one area where the Longhorns do struggle is defending the pass. They're 96 nationally in that stat. And that could be a big equalizer in this game because Washington brings the country's number one passing offense into this game with Michael Penix Jr., Roma Dunze, and Jalen Polk. Um, so that, you know, it, that on that alone, right, that could tip the scales. Yep. Uh, otherwise, Texas is, man, they are really good across the board at everything else. I mean, they really don't have any other weaknesses. They're a top 25 rushing offense, a top 20 passing offense. On defense, they are stifling against the run. They're fourth nationally uh, against the run. They can make plays behind the line of scrimmage. They're 26th in tackles for loss. They're 34th nationally in sacks. They force turnovers at a pretty high rate. They're 16th nationally in uh, and takeaways with 23. I'm personally worried about the Washington defense in this game. The Huskies don't do anything particularly well on that side of the ball. They're 94th in total defense. They're 122nd nationally against the pass. They're 85th in opponent third down conversion percentage. They can't get off the field on third down. They're 112th in sacks and 107th in tackles for loss. I mean, this might be the worst defense to qualify for the college football playoffs since it went to a four-team format. I don't I don't know that to be exactly true, but it's it's definitely one of the worst defenses uh, to qualify for the CFP. In a game that's likely going to be Maybe played... take that title from us if it's true. Yeah, I mean, I guess our, the 2020 Ohio State team that qualified had a pretty shitty defense, but I don't think it was quite as bad yeah. as this one. In a game that's likely going to be played in the high 30s or low 40s, I personally have a lot more faith in the Texas defense getting a couple of stops than Washington's yeah. defense. And that could be the difference in the game is, is just getting a couple of stops. Yeah. Um, I also think between the two teams, the Longhorns can run to win if they need to. The Huskies, they actually don't run the ball very well to begin with. They're 100th nationally in rushing offense, and they're going to struggle to run the ball against the interior of the Texas D-line. I mean, their defensive tackles, Devondre Sweat and Byron Murphy, are both AP All-Americans. They're a big reason the Texas defense only allows 81 yards rushing a game. So Texas... Also, they're far and away the more talented team. The Longhorns are six in the 24-7 team talent composite. Washington is 26th. The Longhorns have nine five-star players. Washington has zero. And by the way, PBH, the Longhorns, they do own the country's best win on the road over the eventual SEC champion by double digits. 
Um, so I'm I'm flipping my pick. And when we looked at this game in our last pod, PBH, I also liked Washington. But after taking a closer look, I actually like the Longhorns by seven to ten points. But it still should be a very entertaining game, and I think Penix is going to keep a minute. But I like the Longhorns maybe to pull away and, and win by 10 in this yeah. one. Well, it sounds like maybe we don't have to bet the game, but we should definitely take the over. Right? Yeah, if, yeah, if, for sure. <laughs> if the one thing that Texas doesn't do well is, uh, you know, pass defense and uh, Washington. I mean, dude, would they? it's, it's kind of like us against Georgia last. Don't even try to run the ball. Yeah. Just don't do it. Just throw it every freaking down, right? I mean. <laughs> yeah, ni- neither of these defenses are good at defending the pass. I mean, Washington is 122nd. Texas is 96. And, you know, I mean, the mullet, you know, you, yeah. Quinn Ewers, he's not too shabby. He's still a very good quarterback, not as dynamic, not as good as Penix, but still very good. So I think there's going to be a lot of fireworks in this game, uh, for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, buddy, before I let you go, you want to do a little recruiting and roster stuff? Uh, yeah, let's spend three minutes doing that. Okay, great. The, the sky didn't fall, right? The sky didn't yeah. fall. That's right. Early signing day was last Wednesday, and it was a bit of a roller coaster ride for Ryan Day and the Buckeyes as the crown jewels of the 2024 class receiver, Jeremiah Smith, the country's number one overall player and defensive end, Edric Houston, kept us all on edge before eventually signing with the Buckeyes. Smith from Florida and Houston from Georgia headline a 2024 class that currently ranks fifth nationally according to 24-7 sports the class also includes five-star receiver Mylon Graham out of Indiana five-star quarterback Aaron Nolan also from Georgia and five-star corner Aaron Scott from Springfield Ohio now as of right now Ohio State has not landed any players out of the transfer portal but Ryan Day said last week they will be aggressive in the portal and as we've alluded to several times Day is still waiting on final NFL draft decisions from a very talented group of draft eligible juniors and that's likely why the Buckeyes have not as far as we know been very aggressive in the portal so far pbh give me a few thoughts on that 2024 recruiting class i I think that just the biggest thing is you know it doesn't not that any of us watch any tape of high school kids or you know we're football evaluators extraordinaire you could just tell that kid smith pops right like special if, if that if that dude is not in the starting lineup on day one, uh, I mean, I'll eat my Buckeye hat. There's no <laughs> chance that, yeah. that he is he is not going to be a special uh, player for sure. Yeah. Uh, secondly, I, I, if they haven't given Heartline a raise yet, right, let's take it from Mariotti or somebody of these other yeah. schmoes on that staff. <laughs> Parker um, Fleming. And, yeah. Get it over to, to Mr. Heartline. Uh, cause that guy's just, I mean, Jesus, he just delivers and delivers and delivers Ugh. and why not? Right. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it's, it's just, it's ridiculous. The, 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 the way he can, uh, get these kids, develop these kids and then get them into the NFL. Um, and obviously he relates to them. So God damn, thank God we got him. Thank uh, God. So that to me was the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, you know, the other stuff, who knows? I mean, it was great that Nolan, there was no drama with that. We'll see if that guy is, you know, phenomenal. They did what they needed to do. Uh, it's a small class, right, I guess. And that's the other thing. I guess the other big thing, and again, neither one of you or I are experts on it, just sort of the uh, the NIL and that apparently the university is not in lockstep with that and the way the other programs are. And even Smith was saying, like, Miami was just throwing gobs at money at me, you know, and is it coming just from these outside places or is it coordinated with schools, which technically is against the rules and Ohio State's not doing that. I think that's the bigger thing that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, all that being said, right, they still what landed 
you know, you go by star rating, you know, the second, uh, you know, most talented class in the country. So they're they're doing fine. Just fine. Yeah. I, I, I Here's an interesting tidbit here. I think it was, I can't remember who tweeted this out, but last Wednesday was the first time since Rivals started ranking recruits that the country's top 10 prospects signed with 10 different schools. Yeah. So we are living in a new era of recruiting thanks to NIL. Georgia, Bama, and Ohio State, they're still at or near the top of the rankings, but they're not consolidating as much of the top-end talent as they were just a few years ago. I personally really like this 2024 class for the Buckeyes. I mean, anytime you can get the country's number one overall player, as they did with Smith, that is something to absolutely celebrate. And anytime you can hold off Bama for a five-star defensive lineman out of the heart of the South, as they did with Edric Houston, that should be celebrated as well. Now, the word on the street, to your point about NIL, the word on the street is that the 1870 Society had a huge hand in sealing the deal for Houston. So fans have been complaining about Ohio State's inability to compete in the NIL space. I think they have to be happy about that. I think, I think Ohio State has come a long way in the last year on the NIL front. Ryan Day has said the Buckeyes will be aggressive in the transfer portal this offseason. I believe him. I trust that they will. And while nothing is official yet, we've alluded to it several times already, that there's a lot of confidence from the Ohio State beat that many of the draft-eligible juniors will be coming back in 2024. And I think if they can get, I think there are nine draft-eligible juniors. So it's it's JT Tuimolo out, Jack Sawyer, Tyleek Williams, Mike Hall Jr., Denzel Burke, Jordan Hancock, Emeka Buka, Trey Henderson, and Donovan Jackson. Those are the nine draft-eligible guys that have decisions to make. PBH, I think if they can get six of those guys to come back, I'd be stoked. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'd love to have Burke back, but man, if he left, okay, fine. Jermaine yeah, Matthews, no. Jermaine yeah. Matthews is a stud. I got no problems he's with. He's a stud. He's a stud. Yeah. Um, and then you know, they'll grab a player or two out of the portal. I mean, they wouldn't got Davis totally. and Igbenosan out of the portal. I trust that yep. they'll grab a couple of kids out of the portal to upgrade that roster. And then I think they're they're very likely going to be a preseason top three team. Yeah, I agree. I, that that definitely is. The, the vibe you're getting. The, the the other thing I was going to say, it's kind of interesting that all, what, top 10 guys went to 10 different schools, mm-hmm. right? And I guess the, the you know, and it, it's still playing itself out, right? But you got the NAL. Does it just make the rich get richer or does it spread it out more evenly? I, I mean, think it's spreading day, it out, right? yeah. Well, it is, but but here's, I think, something that's interesting is that, and, and this is true, no one ever, you know, they they talk about it, but nothing ever happens. Is that the the SEC schools oversign dramatically? Yeah. Right. And you know, every year, Bama's taken 27, 28 guys. Right. And High State doesn't do that. Right. So I wonder if some way that the NIL sort of levels that out, just that they can't then hoard that many top guys. Right. That they're you know because they know that. I mean, literally, they're just going to cut them, right? And Ohio State doesn't play. The Big Ten doesn't play. The only, you know, the only schools that do are in the SEC, and that is just a gigantic advantage, right? Because you're only going to hit on 60, 70, you know, percent of the guys that you're bringing into the program. Yep. Um, and so I just kind of wonder if the, if NIL sort of helps level the recruiting playing field. No question about it. From, from that regard. No question about it. I also think the transfer portal does. Uh, and also there was some new legislation announced around second time transfers, making it easy for kids to transfer a second time. I don't know all the particulars, but that also can level the playing field, right? It makes it harder for the Bamas, the Georgias, the Ohio States to consolidate talent, keep talent. Can you imagine two, you get two transfers? I mean, dude, it'll just be like, <laughs> uh, like just, I mean, it's chaos now, it, it, but it'll just be 
uh, utter freaking chaos. Oh my God. <laughs> it is. The, the, the things are changing. The ground is shifting beneath our feet, and there's going to be more change next year. I don't think Ohio State fans can even begin to process it. But you've got four quality football programs coming into the into the Big Ten next year. And, you know, I, I've said this several times to you guys. Like, you know who's nipping at Ohio State's heels in recruiting within the Big Ten? It's Oregon. Oregon? Yeah. yeah. And I tell you what, I mean – Ohio State can ill afford to be myopically focused on beating Michigan in this new world. I know that's an unpopular opinion, but a lot of people haven't thought about it. You better figure out a way to beat that Oregon team in Eugene next yeah. year. Because <laughs> that that's a game that could very well you know mess up your playoff aspirations if you don't win it. I'll do respect to Michigan. That'll always be an important game. But you know, with Oregon, USC, Washington, and UCLA coming into the conference next year, no divisions, 12-team playoff, the world changes dramatically. Um, yeah. next season. And I don't think a lot of people are thinking about that yet. Okay, buddy. Well, listen. we have to get through this Goodyear cotton. <laughs> we we'll find a way. We'll find a way. Just make we'll sure you're stocked up on Heineken's, my friend. You'll soldier. Oh, you'll am. find a way to manage. We'll Costco run. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. That was a great effort. Thanks so much for making the time. Why don't we end things there? For our listeners, you can expect a Cotton Bowl recap from me this Saturday. Until then, thanks so much for listening. Happy New Year and go Bucks. been listening to the south stands a buckeye football podcast you can follow us on twitter instagram and facebook and visit our website at southstandsosu.com